Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. entertainment in one superb show here is matchless story suspenseful terrifying never so thrillingly presented here in breathtaking technicolor is superb spectacle and splendor and romance here is a chorus of a hundred voices a ballet of a hundred dancers a cast of a thousand starring nelson eddy in his most vigorous performance lovely susanna foster and Claude Rains in the most coveted role of the year as the Phantom of the Opera. My music! You've stolen it! You've stolen my music! Hey guys, welcome back to the Universal Monsters series, The Tragedy of Cinema. Uh, I'm your host, Jimbo, and my co-host, as usual, is... The ever-so-tired Terrence. Uh, ever-tired Terrence, not ever-so-tired. <laughs> uh, so today we are continuing our uh, Universal Monsters series with... This is the ninth film. Uh, we will be talking about The Phantom of the Opera from, I believe, 1943? Yes, 1943. So Terrence, let's just go ahead and jump right in and take it away. All right, release date... 
August 27th, 1943. Budget was 1.5 million. Million. Uh, yeah. 1. That was the same budget million. that the Hunchback had from yeah. the episode before. And um, uh, to count for inflation in today's money, that's $22 million. Uh, this was directed by Arthur Lubin. Writing credits goes to Eric Taylor, screenplay, and Samuel Hoffenstein, screenplay. Hans Jacobi, adaptation as Hans Jac- uh, John Jacobi. Uh, Gaston Leroux, novel. No one shoots like Gaston. <laughs> I know. That's a, when I was reading the names, that's exactly what popped in my head. <laughs> um, and then once again, uh, Hans Jacobi, uh, uncredited. Uh, technical specs, runtime, an hour and 32 minutes. So average movie length, not short like some of uh, uh, the previous ones that we've gone over, which are usually run about an hour, right. hour 10. Uh, this one's a full hour 30. Uh, sound mix is mono, Western electric recording. This one is the only movie in the Universal Monster series that we've covered, of course, uh, that is in color. Right, but there, the other ones have been released in color, I do believe. Really? I think so. I think huh. I, I, I posted a couple on the Facebook group. I'll have to go back and double check. But gotcha. I think I've seen The Mummy for sure. Huh. I wonder how it looked. Because I know some movies you're like, eh, it's probably better in black right. and white. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, I think they all are better in black and white. Especially for... Because, you know, they the apply monster. heavy makeup to, right. to make distinguishing things on purpose. Um, aspect ratio, 1.37 by 1. Uh, laboratory, uh, we're looking at Technicolor. Film length, 2,536 meters. Meters. <laughs> meters. <laughs> Negative format, 35 millimeter. Cinemagraphic process, spherical, and printed film format, 35 millimeter. Now, the awards. U.S. Academy Awards, 1944. Winner, Oscar. Best cinematography, as called by Jimbo in our own little awards. Well, segment. when we do our little wrap up show, you'll hear that I said yeah. this would be the one. In terms of like, I hadn't seen it yet. So, but now that you've watched it, would yeah. you agree? Oh, yeah. It it's would. beautifully the colors and everything just all flow together was, and just shot well really done. well. It was a very well done movie. Um, and then, our, so we're looking at uh, the cinematographers, which is uh, Hal Moore and W. Howard Greeny. Best art direction. So they won again. They did, yes. So they have two wins. Uh, the other one is best art direction, interior decoration, color. Uh, Alexander Goldzin, John B. Goodman, Russell A. Guzman, and Ira Webb. See, that it's very uh, exciting because usually when we've done all these monster movies, it's usually just the DVD box collection, yep. which I'm sure you're getting ready to start it's naming some of them. So. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty cool to see that they finally got some awards for their effort. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And, th- I mean, this movie deserved it. It was a great movie. Uh, and then they were also nominated for uh, Best Sound Recording, uh, Brendan B. Brown. That's Universal SSD. So that's the uh, type of audio it is and where the film's recorded. Uh, best Music Scoring and Musical Picture, Edward Ward. Academy, Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. You called it. Uh, for two years, one was in 2015 and another was in 2013. 2015, they were nominated for the Saturn Award for Best Blu-ray DVD Collection, and that's the Universal Monsters Complete 30 Film Collection. Uh, then there's 2013, where they won a Saturn Award for Best DVD Blu-ray Collection for the Universal Classic Monsters, The Essential Collection. Uh, which obviously consists of a lot less movies. Right, I think it's the eight. 
Universal Monsters. Exactly. So they're basically the ones that we covered. So Dracula, Frankenstein, The Mummy, Invisible Man. But next Man. year we might dive into the 30, the other ones yeah, that we don't know anything about. <laughs> the ones that we haven't covered. Right. Um, then finally we have the Hugo Awards, 1944. Nominee for Hugo, Best Dramatic Presentation, uh, Long Form. Uh, Eric Taylor, writer. Samuel Hoffenstein, writer. Hans Jacobi, writer. And Arthur Lubin, director. Synopsis. A disfigured violinist wreaks havoc and causes fear in an opera house in Paris. So, um, we're going to go ahead and jump into the cast. And yes, the infamous Claude Rains, better known as the Invisible Man, played Eric Claudin, a violinist of the opera house who becomes the Phantom secretly devoted to Christine. That guy is just such a great actor. Yes, I mean, wonderful. I'd like to see some of his other stuff. I don't know if he was typecasted, you know what I mean, from these movies. Yeah. But I'd like to see what else he... I know he was in... Um, was it Casablanca? I think he has a small role in Casablanca. I think so. I think we... we uh, I think we, we covered we that with that, uh, yeah. Kyle when yeah. he was here. Uh, Nelson Eddy as Anatoly Guerin, a baritone of the opera who loves Christine and helps her with her career. Susanna Foster as Christine Dubois. A soprano of the opera house, she is unaware that Eric Claudine loves her and was the one who funded all of her singing lessons. Edgar Barrier as Raoul Dubert, a policeman who wants Christine to quit the opera and marry him. Jane Farrar as Bayan Karali, an arrogant spoiled diva who dislikes being upstage. Yeah, she, played a good, <laughs> she played a good role. Oh, yeah. Uh, J. Edward Bromberg as Emiat, Fritz Feld as Lacour. Frank Puglia as Villeneuve Nueva, Fritz Leiber as Franz Liszt, Stephen Geray as Vercheris, Versace, <laughs> uh, Miles Mander as Maurice Playel, Hans Herbert as Marcel, Hume Cronin as Gerard, and Hank Mann as a stagehand that was uncredited. So let's go ahead and jump in, talk a little bit about the film, and we'll throw in some facts as we go. So it starts off in the opera house. Yep. Nice, beautiful chandelier standing there. I think the first five minutes are just dedicated to the opera itself. And all they're doing is singing. Yeah. And then you're captivated. And But, but <laughs> during this scene, you see the policeman walk up to the side of the stage. Yeah. And uh, Christine's up there singing, and she looks over at him. You know, there's smiling. Yeah. And then the guy that's the lead singer, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, what, what's he doing? You know, so they're all looking at each other, singing, yeah. just keeping along and all that. So. Um, it comes to a close, and then uh, the guy rushes up to her and is like, hey, what are you doing tonight after this? But while he's doing that, they're too busy talking that she f- misses the curtain call. Yeah. That Entirely was, misses the curtain call. Yeah. And everybody was so upset with her about that. Like, they're like, what were you? Why did yeah. you miss, like, the third curtain call? <laughs> you know? like, she's like, uh, uh, then this is where she runs into um, Claude Rains, which is Eric, eventually yeah. the Phantom. And uh, he's like, you missed the curtain call. And she's like, does Everybody in this place know I missed the curtain call. So, um, so he's going in to see, I guess, the owner of the opera, if you will. Yeah, and uh, he says, "Play something for me." So he gets on his violin and he starts playing. Well, so and- I remember how that played out. He goes, um, "He's like, there's been problems uh, in the violin section, and I think I know what it is." So then he asks, yeah. he asks, ask him to play, and so then he plays a piece from his. Uh, uh, what do they call it? Um, where, where he's from, basically. But it's not it's it's not uh, an impressive piece that he's trying to play. It's just something yeah, it's he's trying little, to get it's through. It's a lullaby. Right. So he's like he's like that sounds fine and great. Um, and he's like, 
Well, actually, you know, it's a really simple piece. Um, but the actual piece that you're asking me to play is really complex. And my I, left know, hand is, yeah, not, I can't, I can't feel it. my fingers in my left hand or something like that. Uh, and then that's when you find out that, um, he, he basically gets fired. <laughs> yeah. For the, for the most part, he's like, we, uh, we demand perfection here at yeah. the Paris opera house or whatever. And which is understandable. I mean, that those are you in those type of settings. That's usually the type of um, uh, sort of standards they hold. Uh, but they were nice enough to give them season tickets or something like that. Something like they were like ridiculous. They were like, uh, you know, we'll, we'll still let you see the show, basically. Um, so he was still able to see the show. And uh, yeah, but once you've been at that level of playing and um, you know, comp- I don't want to say competition, but when. When that was his life, yeah, it was. He, he, he says there, it. He's been and, there like twenty years. And they say it throughout the movie a couple of times. Uh, I think. I think the next scene where he goes to um, the place where he's staying. Yeah. And she's like, "You haven't paid." And while he's like, "Look, it'll be here next week," you know. And she's, and she's like, like, "I, I know you have a bunch of money." He's like, <laughs> "She's like, you've been there forever." He's like, "You know, uh, you've been playing there for years." Yeah. And he's like, "I don't have it." And she's like, "Well, you know, sorry, have it or don't." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have it or you don't. So. And then you're coming up to the part where, um, and, and I know we're jumping around a little bit because it's been a minute since I've seen it. I know Terrence seen it yesterday, but he's done forgot because you know millennial. But um, <laughs> more like tired, yeah, blue collar worker. So, so millennial, <laughs> <laughs> you know that eight hour shift. <laughs> um, so they they come to the thing where he, uh, Christine's having her lesson, and she's singing a piece. I think that um, Claude Rains had wrote. Remember, because he comes in behind her, and uh, and, yes, uh, yeah. and he's like, uh, well, that's my Kind of startles, startles yeah, her yeah, for yeah. a moment. Yeah. yeah, and he's like, oh, you sang it beautifully. And then the guy started work on something such, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so then he goes in, and uh, he asks something about his p- piece of music. Remember? The, and um, I'm trying to... I believe he's, he hasn't gone that way yet. He, he, he asked... I'm sorry, he... Um, Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. So, he has the whole thing with uh, his landlord, right. say. And then after that, he uh, goes to basically uh, go to the guy who's teaching um, the main act. Or Christine. The, yeah, uh, the lead female role. So, Christine. And you find out that he's been paying for her voice coach, basically. Right. And, um, the entire time, the entire time. Know. So you find out that's where all his money's gone because this right. guy's like top tier, and uh, he's like just uh, just teach her for a bit longer and she'll make it. And then uh, basically he was saying, I agree with you, but I'm not going to teach her if I'm not getting paid. Like there's a bunch of people in line who are waiting to pay me, and I'll teach them. Right. And so he's, uh, I think he said. Um, he would teach her up until like the next performance or something I like think that. Some like really like short amount of time, basically. Um, it's almost kind of like the last time it's mentioned because I was like, oh, maybe we'll see the repercussions of this later because right. clearly he has no money to pay and and we don't. So, uh, but that's probably because of the events that happen afterwards because I feel this all happens pretty quickly. But is he the one that um, is the repercussion? Is he the one that stole that music and he strangles him right there? Uh, no, not at all. That's not him. Oh, so okay. that's in another scene. So he's trying to figure out how to get money, and that is the very next scene. So he's been composing uh, – I forgot what they call it. He's been composing his own music basically um, for some time, and then he goes to get it published. And the uh, publisher goes, oh, 
we're, we're, we're not going to publish it, basically. Um, and then so he sneaks into the office to try to get his thing back or try to at well, least see but where it doesn't is. doesn't he right? hear? He hears somebody singing it. That's coming up. Play, so basically start, he's, well, what happens is he's looking for it and he can't find it. And then the dude, he's he has a mistress, so he's all like, what are you doing here? You know, because he's all trying to smooch up on her. And um, he's like, I'm looking for my piece. Where is it? And he's like, it's probably in the trash where it belongs. <laughs> and then uh, they cut over to they're getting ready to play the music. And what's really interesting and ironic about the situation is the guy's like, this is an amazing piece. It needs to be published. And the other guy's like, but he doesn't publish music. He's like, he's going to publish this because this is amazing. Which right there tells you and he then, had a hit. And then, he, so it was going to get and published. And he busts in that he door and he's just, like, you stole my the, music. So <laughs> the, the, the maestro, the, the maestro um, is playing his music. And then, so he bursts back into the office of the publisher who has no idea what's going on. And because once again, he's just trying to smooch up on his mistress and he's just, you stole my music. And that's when he just starts choking him. Right. And yeah. this is, this is where it all starts going downhill for yep. him because the mistress, because uh, yeah. there's some sort of acid there and I'm not yeah. really sure what it was used what for. What it's even there right. for. But, but it's like a bull. Yeah. And uh, so he, she stra- he strangles that guy and kills him right yeah. then and there. Right and then she and ta- then. he's she going after acid. her and she takes that bowl of acid just. Tosses it in his face. Yeah, <coughs> yeah we should uh, have the screaming lady there. Just I know, right? Pop it on the side. Of it. <laughs> uh, so you see him. He's like, she's like, starts to scream. He he he's stumbling out. He's got oh, his yeah. hand over his face, you know, burning. Um, and he goes and he hides under that horse carriage. Yep. And uh, there's a little sewer grate. That's there. when he sneaks into the uh, the manhole. Yeah. Uh, cover and, and then... he and he goes down there and. So all the cops are down there watching, you know, they bust and they say, he murdered him. Who was it? You know, the man yep. with the disfigured face, blah, blah, blah. So they're looking for him. They they even look under the carriage, which was very ironic, but they didn't check the manhole. Because he, exactly. he takes the, the lantern he has, and he puts it behind his back so they can't see the light. Too, and he's yep. looking up, and you can see the police man. Very well done. So this is where he goes down into the uh, sewer, and uh, you see the running, you know, the, the sewer water there. And he just does a dive into the Dives sewer right water. Into it, and like, splashing on his face to, he like, just, cool off the yeah, ground. Like, yeah. I was like, that is kind of dis- disgusting. <laughs> if that's what I think it is, that's disgusting. Yeah. So uh, go ahead, to Keep going. Doing good. All right. So uh, then after that moment is – what happened directly after that moment? Oh, so now they're ongoing this investigation. Um and that's when you meet the uh, – or further uh, get to meet the, the cop that uh, is sweet on right. Chris, Christine. Um, Which was uh, uh, Raul. Raul, yeah. So um, he's spearheading this – or at least it seems that way, right? And um, he starts asking questions. And uh, I believe he questions her because uh, he's like, what do you know about her? Uh, or what do you know, blah, blah, blah. That's right. It's in – her at her place, I think. Oh, her dressing room. Yeah, or something. Dress, something. yes, probably her dressing room. And because <laughs> she was talking to the other guy, the the lead role, um, in in the opera, and uh, you know he's trying to. Well, see by flirt. now they know who it is. They do. They know. Exactly they know his who name. Is, yeah. They know. Um, so then he starts talking to her, and she's like, "I don't understand. I I, I know of him, but we we didn't really talk. Like, I don't I don't know what I can contribute to this investigation, basically." And that's when you they reveal that they found a um, an, uh, a sculpture of her, uh, a very great sculpture, and, and the very you know much likeness of her. And uh, you find out that the lead actor role of the opera had made it, and um, 
just the whole time you can feel the tension between Raul and the uh, what is the, the the actor's name? Uh, Christine? No, or? no, no, no. The main a- uh, actor, uh, Claude Rains. You mean Eric? The no, one no, that no, turns no. into the Phantom? No, 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 not the Phantom. The other guy who's sweet on Christine. Because there's oh, Raul the, sweet um, on Christine, and then the other guy's also yeah, sweet on Christine. Um, I forget his name. Um, Basically, you know, the cop and the actor, right? Yeah, there's Raul, and then uh, that's the other guy that was... Oh, man, I can't think of his name. So they're constantly button heads, uh, and it's it's actually quite comedic uh, how they just stumble it, uh, upon each other all the time. Uh, especially when, when they're trying to exit doors. He's like, ah, after you, monsieur. And he's yeah. like, oh, after you, monsieur. And then they go to both exit out the door, and they, like... <laughs> so there's know, a little bit of comedy thrown yeah. in there, you know? Um, so you can tell that they're both sort of in competition uh, to try to gain her favor. Um, so then, uh, oh, what happens next? Um, well, while you're thinking about that, let me throw in a couple little tidbits. Yeah. Um, and on May 21st, 1943, uh, the finished film was rejected by the Hayes office because a number of unacceptable breast shots of Christine huh. in her dressing room. <laughs> I was like, because you got to remember this is at the time with the, uh, the code. Remember yep. the, it says not been determined if this as offending scenes were deleted or reshot, but the film was released in August of 1940 with the production code administration approval. So I was like, Hmm, that must go back to, you know, when the laws start, the law, whatever those laws were, I can't remember. I think they were Hayes laws. Okay. As a matter of fact, um, Claude Rains accepted to play the Phantom under the kitchen that no overdone disfiguration would be made to his face. Hmm. Uh, and, of course, Jack Pierce, the Jack Pierce, uh, was the one that was doing the makeup. So uh, Very well done. He, he, does, he does everything perfectly. Um, also, you know, all the uh, music that was used for the, the actual operas. Yeah. Um, all the operas were performed were either uh, uh, because of the, they, they were public domain oh, or okay. their domain had expired and so or their copyright had expired so they were using it and except there was one piece I think it was a Faust okay. uh, that was with that Christine was doing and it's just because it was used so heavily in the novel that they were allowed to sneak it in there. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So speaking of performance, that's actually where the scene comes in next. Um so they're getting ready to perform, and uh, the they're preparing to you know do their performance, and then that's when you see him, you see the shadow of you know the phantom over and over while everybody's preparing, and then uh, you see him doctor up a drink basically, and yep. uh, sets so, on that exactly. So they do what I imagine is the first half of the performance. And um, they come back to take a break, and she drinks this drink, and then she gets terribly ill, and um, they're all trying to find out what's wrong, and you know what are they going to do without their lead actress? And so they recast her, and then they put in Christine because mm-hmm. um, she's the runner-up. And uh, so then she performs, and she does amazing. Everybody loves it. And then that's when all the drama happens afterwards. So she recovers. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she comes in with her attitude. Oh, yeah. And she <laughs> is pissed and livid. Um, for right reasons, just the wrong people. So she bl- immediately blames Christine and the lead actor role because she knows that he's sweet on her. And then she's like, this whole plan was devised by them so then she can get in my spotlight. And so... Uh, um, and so he can be close to her. Like, this is all a setup, and I know it's them. And they're like, we can't just 
base it off like hearsay. And then she's like, no, I know it was them. I know it was them. Um, so then the the uh, uh, head honchos of the Paris Opera House were like, let's just water under the bridge this because this is bad for us. This is bad, bad for publicity. you. Yeah, because they already have the thing with him. Uh, uh, you know, um, What is the Phantom's name? Eric. Eric. So they already had the the whole thing with Eric and that was already publicized with like, Oh, uh, prior member of the, uh, the opera house, Paris opera house murdered someone. So they had that hanging over their head and they're just trying to get past that. And so they were just trying to be like, Hey, let's just pretend this didn't happen. And then she's like, all right, well, if you want me to do that, I have my own terms. My terms being, uh, we shall like, she, she can't be the next runner up anymore. Christine, that being uh, she being Christine, so Christine can't be the runner-up anymore. Meaning, if she somehow fell ill again, she wouldn't be in the spotlight. And then uh, the second thing was pretend this night never, never happened. happened. <laughs> right. So, like, tell the press to not say a word of it. And then, um, uh, obviously, the the actor who's sweet on her was pretty mad. He's like, "Well, what about the rest of the audience? Like, you can't keep them quiet." <clears throat> And uh, she's like, well, those are my terms. And so take them or leave them. And uh, the head honchos were like, all right, all right, we'll think about it. We'll think about it. And then that's when she goes back to her dressing room. And then the second murder happens. <laughs> Phantom pops out of the dressing room because uh, earlier on you find out that he's taken the master key. And then he's like, there's a hundred and something rooms in this opera house. And I'm like. How big is this place? Like, it doesn't give you really a perspective of how big this opera house is. And I've never been in an opera house myself. Um, it's kind of a bucket list thing to do just to see an opera. Why not? You know what I mean? Um, if I'm ever, I, I know uh, a lot of those shows and stuff is more like uh, East Coast type thing. Right. Um, so if I ever make it out to, like, New York or whatever, I'll probably see a show. Like, at least one Broadway, one opera, just to say I have. Um but yeah, I mean, like it, it sounds incredibly huge and almost like a labyrinth of rooms. Uh, it sounds like, and uh, what what I thought was interesting is how quickly um, Eric seemed to be. Well, then again, he's been there for twenty years, but to still know the layout to all the secret rooms that there seems to be. Um, to which I guess I'm not surprised that there's a master key that exists, since there's so many dang rooms. There's right. bound to now, be a key that's lost. You would you would see, and I wonder when the. I don't know if the police would have searched the all, all the opera house. Yeah, because the murder took place away from there. You know, what I yeah. mean, and they they well, they lost. did do a search of the opera house, and they do one later too, but, especially but, uh, after the murder. But I mean, I wonder how thorough they were when they know that. Oh it yeah, didn't that's take true. Place. Like there had to been rooms that are missed, or even right. if it was missed, it's so easy. It seems so like easy there's to no, nobody's somebody. been in this wing for years. Why yeah. why would he be here? You know, uh, and that it just seems like like there's so many secret corridors and such. It's so easy to evade someone, which he so clearly shows in the very next scene when uh he's basically just murdered someone again everybody's like oh my gosh you know she's murdered and um they're all running around and uh, uh the only person who sees him is the uh the main actor uh, of the opera so he's chasing down the phantom and then he chases him all the way up to the uh Oh man, I don't know the scaffolding. Yeah, yeah, the the, the top scaffolding where uh, they control the the curtain, um, the lights, I imagine, stuff like that. So you know, there's all these ropes and stuff for controlling all uh, everything. <laughs> and so um, he chases them all the way up there, 
and uh, uh, eventually the phantom gets the better of him, and he catches himself from falling by coming down a rope and then holding. Well, first he's like holding on to the curtain for right. dear life, and then he catches one of the ropes, and he finally you know safely comes down. And then uh, they're like, "What are you doing up there?" And he's like, "I was chasing the man who who murdered her." And they're like, "Well, we've only seen you." He's like, "You mean to tell me you didn't see the other guy?" Um, so like right now, there's a little bit of disbelief and why would the guy the jump down from the top of that? You know, what <laughs> I, I mean? know, right? So, um, but it's kind of like it goes back to like the Invisible Man. They nobody believed it. Yeah, exactly. Them people either. You know what I mean? Look what happened. And it was the same character, you know, Claude Rain. Uh, right. So. <laughs> and so. Um, and it just goes to sh- like as he was chasing him, uh, he chased him through a bunch of different rooms and went up these stairs and everything. It just shows how uh, how well the Phantom knows the area and um, how easy it was for him to evade. Oh him, more yeah, or less. and I'm sure it's probably the same security guards or whatever. And he knows where they'll be. You know what doors yeah. they watch, what doors they don't watch. Exactly, <laughs> windows, exactly, etc. And so um, then you find out he's left the letter. Uh, on the uh, one of the head honchos yeah, the desk saying basically uh, Christine is to play the lead role and um, no one else. Uh, that's what it was. He's like, he didn't heed my last warning because he written a previous note um, saying she has to star. And then uh, there, she was like, no, I'm definitely the star. What are you doing? So then he kills her and then he leaves another note saying you better heed my warning this time or there will be consequences again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they devised this plan to cast somebody else to piss him off. Well, at first they were going to be like, let's just cast Christine and then he'll leave us alone. And then the obviously the, the cop wasn't happy with that. And he's like, well, if we do that, then there's no chance of catching the guy. Like he won't make an appearance. We won't get an arrest. And so um, they wanted to cast someone else to draw him out so then they can catch him. Um, then you have another scene with uh, more awkwardness between the two gentlemen. And <laughs> I love them guys. Like... <laughs> I, I just thought it was always uh, one of the, one of the funny scenes. Besides them always trying to get out the door at the same time, is when they both grab her hand to like kiss right. her hand, and they like look at each other, and then they both decide not to. <laughs> yeah, you could tell she's just, like the whole time. Each one of these scenes, you can tell she's just eating it up. She's oh like, yeah, yes, I'm wanted. <laughs> um. Let's throw out some more facts. All right. So uh, the auditorium and stage of the Paris Opera House scene here was the same one used for the uh, Bill 1925 version that I covered earlier. Uh, okay. Yeah, in the the I think it's like episode one, right? 21. Yeah. Right. Um, it still stands at the Universal Studios today as stage 28 and has been used in countless other productions, including uh, it was used by Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, okay. And I can't remember the name of the movie. The... Um, I've got it somewhere. If I find it, I'll, I'll go over it. But uh, that, and it also goes, uh, um, Murder, She Wrote. A lot of this, it was it was featured in Murder, She Wrote. Oh, okay. <laughs> the original script revealed Clauden to be Christine's father, who abandoned her and her mother in order to pursue a musical career. Hmm. When this was from the film, uh, it left his obsession with her, you know, less, well, why is he obsessed with her? Yeah. You know what I mean? If he wasn't her father, so... That's something that they were looking at. Uh, the bronze sculpture of Christine Dubois. Uh, du- du- you remember the bronze? Yep. It was actually made by the co-star Nelson Eddy, who who played... Uh, uh, oh, that's who it was. Uh, Anatoly Garon. That was the baritone who loves Christine. Yep. Okay. Uh, he actually made that 
Oh. He was an accomplished sculptor. So, so. It's interesting how the <coughs> in the movie his character made it, and then in all actuality he actually did make it. So that's right. interesting. Um, and the scene where the three heroes escape the Phantom's crumbling lair. Well, oops, spoiler alert. Um, so let's put a pause on that one. Okay. Because so, <laughs> that's, that's, that's actually coming up. So right. uh, they go through with their plan, and you also find out that there's a secondary plan in place that he's like, the cop is incompetent, so I'm going to come up with my own plan to catch him. So he uh, enlists the maestro to play his song. He's like, I know he made this song. So and he'll be around play to it, listen to it. He'll be around to listen to it. So if we play it, it'll draw him out and then we and can we catch him. And we can block all the exits and everything. Exactly. So now they put the plan in place. Uh, you get another showing of basically the, the, the opera play. And um, they cast somebody else and not Christine. And so obviously that pissed off uh, Eric. And uh, while they're playing out the scene you just see him on the top of the rafters just hacksawing away at a chandelier, the chandelier. and uh, I gotta talk about dedication because that's not a good angle and he's no. just sitting there hacking away I was like away. this guy is just going to town <laughs> and so yeah he's just going to town the chandelier and then um, uh, midway through the piece the chandelier falls and people are freaking out and screaming and uh, in the chaos uh, the phantom uh, grabs Christine. He's like, "Don't worry, like you'll be safe with me." And then she's like, "Ah," um, drags her into his lair. Let's call it um, the underbelly dungeon, of the opera, right? The caverns. <laughs> and uh, while that's happening, um, the actor is—he's uh, like—he's initiating his plan. He gets the maestro. He's like, "We have to do play it now, play it now." Um, and then, so before they start playing, you go through this whole scene with. Um, Eric and Christine, and uh, he's being creepy. And then he's like, there's a lake. Look, there's a lake down here. And he's like, oh, you'll get used to the dark. The dark is safe. And, yeah. and then she's just, like, terrified. So not only that, not only is he disfigured now, but he, his mind is starting to go. His mind's broke. Yeah, yeah. It, he's done. <laughs> and so he's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, you, you'll only sing for me. <laughs> yeah, I was like. Yeah. And uh, he's like, well, we can be together forever and, you know, weird stuff like that. Um, so then... They start to play the song. Interestingly enough, he starts to play it at the same time. So his uh, um, piano playing matches up with what's going on above. Um, so he's in sync with the maestro upstairs. And they're both playing the piano. And uh, uh, both um, the cop and the actor are, are looking. They, they found their way uh, to the underbelly also, but they can't. They don't know where he is. It's like... An, I, Cavern. It's a, it's a labyrinth uh, down there. I a would maze imagine. of sewers, right? And so um, they're like, "Wait!" They're like, "Oh, hey, he's initiating my plan." And then after a while, he's like, "Wait, that sounds like it's in front of us." And like, "Ah, that is in front of us." Um, but they really can't tell where it is until Christine starts singing. So she starts singing. They're able to pinpoint his location, and then finally they burst into the room that he has her captive, and um, uh, the cop has the gun drawn on him. Uh, He's basically saying, you know, let her go. Uh, and he looks like he's going to do something, right? He's like, don't even think about it. And, uh, well, he does think about it. <laughs> he, goes, he goes to grab something and then uh, the cop shoots him. And um, interestingly enough, it just it's the place was so fragile and barely holding up because all it took was the one gunshot one to have everything crumbling down. Let's throw down that fact. Right. That's what we were going to say. Uh, the... the, the um 
Only Susanna Foster actually appeared in the scenes. The two male stars were deemed too important to film such a risky scene and had stunt doubles. What the heck? Yeah. So they're making the girl do all of her own stunts oh there. They, 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 they didn't want to hurt the boys because, you know, wow. they were too. <clears throat> so, yeah, in this scene, the uh, gentlemen take her away. Uh, Eric gets caught in the rubble. Um, and then they, they barely make it out. And it actually showed how crumbly it was as they were making their way inside like they just barely missed a crumbling wall that yeah, it's took so them out. overdone you know yeah um i was just like wow th- this building's not up to code <laughs> uh so <clears throat> they, they you know escape and everything and there's a, a bit of dialogue afterwards um and more or less you find out that she moves on to be the lead role and she's successful because uh, you got both guys who come in. Uh, first, the lead actor comes in and uh, he's all like, hey, let me take you to supper. And she's like, all right, you have a date. And you find out that date's with the cop. And then um, then she just shuts him down immediately. And then, you know, they both are trying to give her flowers at the same time. And then they both, you know, are once again stumbling upon each other and stuff like that. And then. Uh, I believe the last scene is she exits the doors and then there's a bunch of people with flowers and, you know, she's happy. And then uh, they both go to walk out the door and then they both get stuck in the door at the same time. (laughs) They kind of like smile at each other. Um, It's kind of like this uh, weirdly happy ending. And then then, then actually the, the last last cutout scene is they go back to the rubble where you see the violin and the mask. Right. Um, which I thought was very fitting. Yeah. Um, it would have been really cool to see like his hand or something come out. You know, That's just, what I just thought. So I you thought, could like, have like a sequel. But this is the first, like we were talking earlier, this is the first time during the watching of these Universe Monsters that it doesn't just abruptly end like the monster's dead. Boom, yeah. the end. Uh, and you're was, like, it actually yeah. gave you a little bit of closure this time. It did. Um, and that was definitely something we were discussing uh, off mic was, uh, yeah, this is the first movie that gives us a, a closure, more right. or less. Um, instead of just like, all right, the 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 antagonist is dead. The end, end of movie. Right. The mummy crumbles <laughs> to dust. The end. You know, the Wolfman got killed by his father. The end. You know, right. Just, um, the uh, Alfred Hitchcock movie I was uh, referring to was a feature uh, called Torn Curtain from 1966, where the stages um, thing uh, shown. Uh, the budget was approximately $1.75 million, which included $100,000 to soundproof the still-existing opera stage from Universal's The Phantom of the Opera 1925 silent version. The Universal logo does not appear in this film. It doesn't. And I thought that was really weird because usually it at starts the, off at the, the be- curtain. Right. At the beginning of almost all these other ones, you've seen the, the, the Universal, Universal logo with the little, the little, little airplane, airplane going around it. Uh, Claude Rains was considered to be miscast in this role due to him not being physically suitable. Actually, uh, I will say the copy that I was watching, it did have the new Universal logo. Not the old one. Right. So It had the one that you're familiar with if you watch Universal throughout like the 80s. Right, but, that, I think, that, but, that but what I think, up. I think that, that was added to the DVD release, the That's Universal what I collection. imagined, yeah. Right, but the original release didn't have didn't it at have all. It. Uh, but the, if you do have the modern release of it, then, uh, yeah, it does have the more modern Universal logo. Right. And last but not least, and you're going to find this because this ties into our next uh, episode. Universal Pictures originally planned this film as a vehicle for its comedy team of Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. <laughs> it also considered casting Lon Chaney Jr. as the Phantom, a role made famous by his father Lon Chaney and John Hall. 
as the romantic lead, which I think would have been a great service to let him play the role that made his dad famous, especially with the same character. Oh, yeah. So, Terrence, <coughs> bless me. Take it away. Give me your thoughts on this film. Good movie. Uh, it, it was a very solid film. Um, Where are you putting it in, in your in your list now? Because I know see. when you did this and <laughs> yeah. the other one, you hadn't seen it yet. So, and you was like... I yeah, when I, when I was ranking them uh, yesterday... Whew, um, I put it in the in the middle somewhere. Like it's not at the it's not at the bottom. Okay, it's give me the, the one top. that you would say was right <clears throat> above it, and the one that's right below it for you. Uh, I would probably put it just right before Dracula. Yeah. So right before Dracula, and then what's it right under? Oh, that that would be what, what it's. Oh, under. so it goes Dra- it's, Dracula, it's Dracula, this Phantom of the Opera, and then. And then um, Creature of the Black Lagoon. Okay. Fair. Fair. Um, and then once again, like, uh, I mean, we mentioned this in our wrap-up episode, but uh, this is by no means, like, a Jurassic scale. Like, they're all fairly close. Because like these are all, like, re- the only one that's leagues behind is the very last one. <laughs> Which is <laughs> Which, the very first one that we did, right? Yeah. The, 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 uh, uh, the very first Universal movie. Of, yeah. And we did that because it's so iconic. Yeah. And we did a watch along party on Facebook, so yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, no, it's 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 an incredible movie. And um, and I think the the reason that this this one stands out is number one, the story. It's always fascinating. They've done many ver- versions of it. Um, Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote that whole Broadway musical about oh, yeah. it, which is fantastic, by the way, if you haven't heard it. And and you know, it's like the awards we're saying, and even what we were saying, like the cinematography is great. Yes, the color and I, I they bright took, colors. They took full advantage. I do want to mention that, like they. They earned that uh, sort of, you know, uh, what, what was Academy it? Award. Uh, Academy Award for um, cinematography, for uh, best interior decoration, and even costuming. Like they <laughs> took full advantage of of uh, color movies. Uh, there vibrant colors everywhere. They even took the, the even the mask wasn't you know the usual white. It was a blue mask. Right. It's kind of like this baby blue mask. Um, Everything was vibrant. It, it popped, but it all fit with the setting because it's this opera. It's big and loud, well, um, I, and it just it did really well. Well, and I think it goes to show you that um, what happens when you have a big budget and you actually use it for the set. Yeah, and not only that, but the set's still standing unless it burned down recently. I can't remember, but I'm just saying, for all the, the that set that was reused, how much money had they saved when they reused that set over and over and oh, over? Yeah. But it's something that they made that long ago, and that just shows you how things were made back then that can still stand today. You know oh, what I yeah, mean? The, the, the craftsmanship that went into that. So yes, very good movie. I highly recommend it, as well as any other of the uh, versions of Phantom of the Opera, just because. Um, in this one, he was a, uh, uh, you know, a uh, broken. I don't want to say broken, but uh, <laughs> uh, uh, he was a guy that had passed his prime that still loved the opera, but he couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Um, in other versions, he was um, like a, a, a carnival freak, circus freak. You know, yeah. that escaped and found solace there, and was hid by Madame Jai yeah. or whatever. You so know. I do know that I, I feel like um, like this one was the the least romantic, romanticized version of the story. Right. Uh, At least, you, but you had two people fighting over. It, you know what I mean? That's also but, true. But as far I, as the inversions of, the I do feel like the because the, the and Raul was uh, yeah. never a cop. He was always like a. a, a childhood friend oh, that they yeah, had always yeah. broke with. You know what I mean? So so I know in the, the 2004 version was a lot more like 
romanticized version right. of the story. Well, that's the Broadway mu- music too. True, so yeah. you don't know how much of that's coming through, but fantastic overall. Well, uh, stay tuned because we are getting ready to do uh, one of my favorites, <laughs> and I know Terrence was cracking up. He just wish Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. This will be the last movie that wraps up the Universal Monster series, and then we have our wrap up show. So stay tuned for this one, and I think that's a wrap on this episode. Yep, and, and cut. cut.